Okay, so Pastor Kenny Morgan from Midtown Baptist Temple, Associate Pastor, come on up and bless our hearts. Good morning, and uh, praise the Lord. It is an honor to be here. Anytime you are asked or invited to come and, and, and preach the Word of God, uh, where a man like Alan Shelby preaches the Word of God, uh, that's a very humbling invitation. So my family and I are grateful, humble to be with you uh, this morning and just trusting the Lord to meet with us and speak to us from His Word. I do believe that God has some business for us today. I believe there are some things God wants us to, to hear and receive and, and run with. And so uh, we're going to trust him to just magnify this in our minds and our hearts and uh, that we would be a changed people as a result of sitting at the feet of the word of God this morning. That we would be challenged, we'd be envisioned, we'd be sharpened to, to be disciples indeed and make them. So uh, very grateful for the gracious introduction from Pops. I mean, I... I could take the whole time this morning and talk about the investment, the impact, the significance of Pastor Dave Hill and Mom Rosie Hill. That's, those are my parents in the Lord. I, I, I don't have words. My, my vocabulary fails me to try and capture for you what they mean to me, the difference that they've been in my life and, and in my family as a result. So... So God is good. With that, we're going to be in Judges chapter 2. You'll be finding your way there. Father in heaven, for your glory alone, would you magnify this book? Would you envision your people? Would you help us to hear from you very clearly? Uh, God, we get into this routine of, of coming to church, as we say, and we hear a lot, and we we, we go through some of the same things week to week, and, and it, it can become to, to be this thing that's just kind of a formality. It's just what we do. But our expectations are low. We're not really expecting anything of significance. We kind of just want to get through this so we can get on to the next thing on our calendar today. But, but oh, Lord, would you arrest us right here in this space and... And whatever it is that you want to accomplish in all of us, would you do that in such a way where it changes whatever happens after today? In Jesus' name, amen. I want to begin by reading something to you that was stated many, many years ago about the church. It says, the church today is raising a whole generation of mules. They know how to sweat and to work hard but they don't know how to reproduce themselves. Uh, mules can carry supplies. They can plow fields. They can pull wagons. Uh, they can even transport people. Mules can be either male or female, but being a cross between a female horse and a male donkey, they have an odd number of chromosomes. So they're almost always sterile. They cannot reproduce they are or they represent the end of the line. Hard workers can be found in many Bible-believing churches. They'll teach classes. They'll drive the shuttle. 
They'll take care of the building. They'll take care of the grounds. They'll meet the physical needs of others. They're hard workers. They are. You'll find them in churches. But one of the things that you see when you look at the church today is that there's a major problem. There's a major problem that exists in many Bible-believing churches, and that is believers are not reproducing spiritually. They are the end of the line. After they're gone, it's over. It stops. But that raises the question, doesn't it? It raises the question. If a church is not reproducing spiritually, is it really a Bible-believing church? Because you really can't believe the Word of God and be spiritually sterile. That's an oxymoron. It is. We're in Judges chapter 2, where what we see this morning is we see the continuation of Israel's history that we find at the end of the book of Judges, and that is continuing. And in verses 6 through 10, where we're going to essentially see a repeat of what we see in Joshua chapter 24, verses 28 through 31, except there's a major difference in one particular area that we're going to focus on. But when you're talking about the books of Joshua and the book of Judges, you're talking about a contrast that is both deep and very wide. The books cannot be any more different. In Joshua, we see conquest and victory. We see God do what God does, and that is God keeps his word, whatever promises that God has made, he keeps them. And so Israel gets the land, and, and, and you see the land uh, distributed amongst the tribes, all of that. I mean, that was all God. And then you get into the book of Judges, and you see carnality and cycles of failure. Like Israel gets into sin, and they cry out to God, and God delivers them, and then they sign up for it again. I mean, that's the book of Judges. And throughout history, we have observed these same kinds of transitions. Uh, we've seen these spiritual digressions from Joshua to judges and churches, have we not? Uh, churches that at one point had leadership that led the church to be a soul-winning, disciple-making, church-planting, church-sending church. To see churches go from that to becoming havens for lukewarm believers who all they want to do is write a tie check and attend church and call themselves a disciple. The kind of church where, if the people were honest, they, they find these things that the church once stood for to be repulsive. They, they can't fathom that anyone would lay their life down, that they would be a living sacrifice so that others can come to faith in Christ, so that disciples can be made, so that we can touch the world with the gospel. How could that ever be more preeminent than the dream home that I want? How can that ever become first over the dream vacation that I want or, or, or my retirement plan? What could be more important than that? 
Those churches have gone from Joshua, a place of spiritual vision, vitality, and victory, to judges, a spiritual and doctrinal wasteland. The question that has been asked many times, and it continues to be asked, and that is, how does that happen? How do churches go from spiritually being the book of Joshua? Where they're taking land for Christ and people are getting saved and disciples are being made and the planet is being affected because of the ministry of that local church. How does a church go from that to simply holding services? Where people come and they just punch their spiritual clock on Sunday and and feel good about that. That's the standard. I I came and I tithe and, I mean, really, you can't expect more than that, right? The answer to that question is the foundation for what we need to stand on this morning. Churches go from Joshua to Judges when they cease reproducing Christ in others. That's how it happens. Churches go from Joshua to Judges when they cease reproducing Christ in others. In John chapter 8, there were some Jews who believed Jesus regarding who he said that he was. And one of the things that he said that he was there in that great chapter was he says, I am the light of the world. And they believed him. And notice what John 8.31 says. It says, then said Jesus to those Jews which believed on him, if ye continue in my word, then are ye my disciples indeed. Listen, reproducing Christ and others goes far beyond professions of faith. Praise God for professions of faith. Praise the Lord for them. But the full scope of reproducing Christ and others, listen, means that we are making disciples indeed. That is the full scope of reproducing Christ and others. To those Jews which believed on Jesus, he wanted them to continue beyond the profession of faith. It's almost as if he didn't even catch his breath. To those Jews which believed on him, he went right to the heart of being a disciple indeed of his. Listen, please, I beg you to hear this. Name the church, whether it's this one or Midtown or any other church, Professions of faith alone will never prevent a church from going from Joshua to Judges. Professions of faith alone will never stop that train. This is the one and only time in God's word that we encounter this phrase, disciples indeed, here in John 8, 31. But please do not mistake that for for it being insignificant. Because it is very significant because someone who is a disciple indeed is someone who is truly a disciple of Jesus Christ. This is not someone who is playing church. 
Uh, This isn't someone who has a form of godliness. No, this is someone who is going to follow Jesus Christ according to his word. Regardless of what it says. Uh, Pops talked about discipling me, and and he did that, and I praise God for that, but uh, he can tell you, listen, I... I love this book. It's incredible, is it not? This is the bread of life. It's so good, isn't it? It is perfect every time. It's always right on time. It always knows what I need to hear, when I need to hear it, and why I need to hear it. But sometimes there's a problem, isn't it? Man, this book will get in your business, won't it? So when this book gets in my face about being the kind of husband that it says I ought to be. You're going to follow me? You're going to die to self? You're going to put her before you? You're going to be unselfish? You're going to humble yourself and empty the dishwasher and not wait for her to do it? You're going to serve her? But Lord, this book is good, but I don't want to hear that. <laughs> See, being a disciple indeed says, Lord, whatever you say, that's what I'm going to do. During the earthly ministry of Christ, many who simply believed that he was the Messiah viewed themselves or even called themselves as a disciple of his, but he said, That alone did not make anyone a disciple indeed. According to him, a true disciple, no matter what, this is where they're going to land every time. Period. Now, two gripping realities are happening in every church. When professions of faith are coming to a halt, the baptism tank becomes very infrequent, and you start looking around, and you do the spiritual math, and it dawns on everybody, there's nobody here to disciple. Two things are happening in a church when that is the spiritual reality. Number one, that church is writing its own spiritual obituary. It's writing it. It's writing it every Sunday. It's writing it every Wednesday. It's writing it. The other thing that's happening is that church is in a full-blown transition from Joshua to Judges. It's happening. That church might have phenomenal Bible teaching. It might have the busiest church calendar in the country. It might have the hardest working people that a church could possibly have. But if that church is not reproducing Christ in others in a John 8.31 capacity, 
If that's not happening, that church cannot help but go from Joshua to Judges. And we're going to see that very clearly this morning. And I want us to see two very dangerous signs that this is happening. There are more. But I want us to see there are two clear, very dangerous signs that a church is in the process of going from what it was and what it should have been to everything that God says makes a stomach turn. Revelation chapter 3. Judges chapter 2, beginning in verse 6. And when Joshua had let the people go, the children of Israel went every man unto his inheritance to possess the land. And the people served the Lord all the days of Joshua and all the days of the elders that outlived Joshua, who had seen all the great works of the Lord that he did for Israel. And Joshua, the son of Nun, the servant of the Lord, died, being a hundred and ten years old. And they buried him in the border of his inheritance in timnath Harris, in the Mount of Ephraim, on the north side of the hill of Gaash. And also all that generation were gathered unto their fathers. Now we're going to stop right there. We're going to finish this a little bit later in terms of verse 10. But again, you're seeing the continuation of the history of Israel in, in the book of Joshua. You're seeing that continue here. But here's what's also happening. There's a transition that is happening from Israel being under Joshua to Israel now being under the judges. This is what's happening. Under Joshua, verse 7 tells us that Israel served the Lord all of his days. Praise God. But it continues. The elders who outlived him, Israel served the Lord all their days. Praise God for that. Those men would have remembered what God did at the crossing of the Jordan River. They would have remembered the, the, the circumcision of, of, of the nation. They would have remembered what God did at Jericho. They would have remembered that. They saw all the great works of the Lord that he did for Israel. But listen, a very sobering reality emerges in all of this. Look at verse 8 again. And Joshua, the son of Nun, the servant of the Lord, say it with me, died. He died. He was valiant. He was faithful. Mighty man of God. Picture of Jesus Christ. But he died. Verse 10. And also all that generation were gathered unto their fathers. They died too. Listen, the sober reality is this, as wonderful as men of God are, and as much as we thank God for them, and as much as we appreciate their, their labor of love, and their faithful investment in us, the reality is they all have an expiration date, don't they? That's the truth. And listen, what has accelerated the transition from Joshua to Judges in so many churches 
What has put it in the next gear is this first sign that we're going to talk about that tells us that a church is in trouble, that a church is in danger of going from Joshua to Judges, and it is this, this first sign is this, a church lacks a clear succession plan. That's a dangerous sign. It is. This is a plan that is in place to transfer leadership from someone to someone else. It is. Israel served the Lord all the days of Joshua. All the days of the elders and leaders who outlived them. They all got it. But here was the problem. Spiritually, they were the end of the line. Spiritually, they were mules. The generation after them did not get it. How do you know? You've got the book of Judges. Listen, succession plans are like life insurance. Not the most comfortable thing to think about and talk about. But aren't you glad you have it when you need it? (laughs) Yes. God seems to value succession plans. Look at Numbers 27, verses 15 through 17. And Moses spake unto the Lord, saying, Let the Lord, the God of the spirits of all flesh, set a man over the congregation, which may go out before them, and which may go in before them, and which may lead them out, and which may bring them in, listen, that the congregation of the Lord be not as sheep which have no shepherd. The man that would be set over the congregation after Moses, the man who would succeed him, was Joshua. God says we've got to have a plan. You have an expiration date. Deuteronomy 3.28, but charge Joshua and encourage him and strengthen him, for he shall go over before this people, and he shall cause them to inherit the land which thou shalt see. If we're thinking about this from a discipleship perspective, it's wonderful because Joshua not only succeeded Moses, he also exceeded him. Because he did something that not even Moses did. He led the nation into the land. That's discipleship. It works. 1 Kings chapter 1, verse 29. And the king swore and said, As the Lord liveth, that hath redeemed my soul out of all distress, even as I swear unto thee by the Lord God of Israel, saying, Assuredly, Solomon, thy son, shall reign after me. And he shall sit upon my throne in my stead, even so will I certainly do this day. With David's death approaching at this point, one of his sons, Adonijah, had a different succession plan than his father did. And that plan was he was going to be king. He made himself king. He was going to be David's successor. So it was critical for David to make it clear to everybody what the succession plan was, and it wasn't Adonijah. 
2 Kings chapter 2 and verse 15. And when the sons of the prophets, which were to view at Jericho, saw him, they said, The spirit of Elijah doth rest on Elisha. And they came to meet him and bowed themselves to the ground before him. The sons of the prophets, they recognized the passing of the torch, if you would. They saw the succession plan, if you would, from Elijah to Elisha. God values this. John chapter 20 and verse 21. Then said Jesus to them again, peace be unto you. As my father has sent me, even so send I you. You're going to continue what I've started. I am passing the ministry torch to you. I'm giving you the great commission. You've got to go with it. Now, this brings us to make what ought to be an obvious, but it is still yet substantial point. It's a sobering moment that every church has to do the math on and embrace. Listen. Transitions of senior leadership in the local church are inevitable. They are. Apart from the rapture, transitions of senior leadership in the local church are inevitable. It's coming. It is. Lord willing, I'll be 51 here in a couple of weeks. And at this age and stage of my life, you, you start doing some math, don't you? You start doing some hard math. You start numbering your days. You, you come to terms with this life being a vapor. It's very, very quick. And when you do hard math, you, you come to some hard realities. Listen, apart from his wife and children, I'm not sure there's anyone at Midtown Baptist Temple who loves Sam Miles as much as I do. I love my pastor. Love him. He is a phenomenal man of God. I thank God often that I get to do this under him and with him. He is fantastic to walk with in life and in ministry. But if the Lord should tarry His coming, the day is coming at Midtown Baptist Temple where Midtown will go from being under Sam Miles to being under another senior pastor. As a matter of fact, Midtown is a day closer to that today than it was yesterday. Now, this will be as substantial. In a transition of senior leadership, the church will surge forward or slide backward spiritually. This is the truth. When Joshua succeeded Moses, Israel surged forward, didn't they? They entered and conquered the land. But when the transition happened, from Joshua to the judges, where did Israel go? They slid backward. They slid backward. Brothers and sisters, transitions have happened in churches where when the dust cleared on that transition, the only thing recognizable about that church was the address. 
apart from your dress, she says, man, I can't, that is not the same place, not even close. Transitions of leadership, they have to happen, but here's the question. Does a church go from Moses to Joshua, or does it go from Joshua to Judges? That's the question. Now, a transition of leadership is something that a church must get right. Its spiritual life depends on it. And I want to show you exactly from the Word of God how a church can get it right every single time. Where when the dust clears, God is glorified. And we see this in this second critical sign that a church is transitioning from Joshua to Judges. Here's the second sign. The church fails to disciple the next generation. This is how you get it right. Because if you do this, you go from Moses to Joshua, not Joshua to Judges. We said earlier that verses 6 through 10 are essentially a repeat of Joshua 24, uh, 28 to 31, except with, with, with one major difference. And you see that major difference in the second half of verse 10. Look at it. And there arose another generation after them, listen, which knew not the Lord nor yet the works which he had done for Israel. The relationship with God that Joshua and his generation had, listen, was not passed on to the generation after them. They did not view and believe God the same way as Joshua and his generation did. Somebody fumbled the handoff of the baton. They knew not the Lord, nor yet the works which he had done for Israel. But please, in verse 10, I need you to really see this. and I don't want you to miss this. This phrase in verse 10, knew not, is not referring to total ignorance. It's not. Listen, they would have been familiar with the account of the crossing of the Jordan. They would have been familiar with the walls coming down at Jericho. The problem was they knew about those things, but they didn't know God who did those things. They were too close in proximity to not know about those things. They would have grown up hearing those things. They would have overheard those things in conversations and different holidays and all of that. They knew about those things. But they didn't know God the way that Joshua and his generation did. Today, we would say about them, they grew up in church. And when you grew up in church, you, 
You hear about things, right? You, you, you hear testimonies of the power of God. You, you, you hear the testimony of, of parents and grandparents who have seen God do what only God can do. They, they, they know about all of that, but, but they don't know God like that. It's someone else's story. It's someone else's faith. It's not theirs. Regarding this whole phrase of people growing up in church, I implore you to consider the reality of what's happening in the church as it relates to teens. Because even though most churches have youth ministries, most teens are going to leave the church after high school. This is what's going down. So most teens who grow up in church, they graduate and they get their diploma and they also graduate from God. That is for my parents and my grandparents and my uncles and my aunties. That's not for me. Please, it is not a given that the next generation will follow the Lord because the generation before them followed the Lord. It's not a given. It's not automatic. It's not. They have to be discipled. Now, I didn't sweat in the first service. I'm sweating now. That's all right. I'm working. Aaron was the older brother of Moses, as we know, and the high priest. But listen to the testimony of his sons. Leviticus 10, verse 1. And Nadab and Abihu, the sons of Aaron, took either of them his censer and put fire therein and put incense thereon and offered strange fire before the Lord, which he commanded them not. And there went out fire from the Lord and devoured them, and they died before the Lord. Samuel Great man of God, used mightily by God for the nation. But look at 1 Samuel chapter 8, beginning in verse 1. And it came to pass when Samuel was old that he made his sons judges over Israel. Now the name of the firstborn was Joel, and the name of the second Abiah. They were judges in Beersheba, and his sons walked not in his ways, and turned aside after lucre, and took bribes and perverted judgment. Their sons did not know God like they did. You don't get to be the son of a man like Samuel or Aaron and not know about God. But you can know about him and not know him. You know what? I would imagine you've had this experience. I've had it a few times in my life, but... Sometimes you, you find yourself, you're driving in a car and you've got a passenger with you and, and you drive by a building that was once something else, right? Like you drive by a building and you go, you know, that, that used to be a restaurant and your mother and I, when we were dating, we would go there for breakfast sometimes and catch up and spend time together. And now it's a, it's a hair salon, 
right? Or, or maybe there was a bowling alley at one point, and now it's a furniture store. You go, man, on Friday nights, there was a group from church who would all get together and go there and bowl. If the Lord's Harris is coming, listen, the day is coming when there are some children who are in our student or youth ministry right now are going to drive by what is right now the Midtown Baptist Temple. And I wonder what they're going to say. You know, uh, well, they say, uh, you, you wouldn't believe it now, but that used to be a church. As a child, my parents brought me here every Sunday, every Tuesday night. It would be so crowded, we'd have to park a block away. And I hated it because it was in the heat and in the cold, and we had to walk all the way to the church. But I do remember, as we got a little closer, you could hear the choir singing. We used to have this conference, like, during the holidays, like between Christmas and New Year's, and, and, and people would come from all over to be a part of this conference. And I hated it, too, because... You know, it was just, had to park far away, it was really cold, and the place was just packed. There's nowhere to sit. I remember every summer we would go to this, uh, there was some college we would go to. And it was hot. And there was, there was I think there was like a Bible school or a seminary or something the church had, and People were taking classes from all over the world. But it's crazy to think now that that's an actual brewery. They're not preaching the word of God in that building anymore. They're not making disciples in that building anymore. Churches aren't being planted out of that building anymore. Mission trips aren't coming out of there anymore. They're making beer. That's happening, you know. Or will they say, this is my church, and I'm so glad you came with me today. Let's go in. If the Lord tarries is coming, Something like that is going to go down regarding every building that Bible believers occupy on Sundays, Tuesdays, and Wednesdays. I need you to hear this as I wrap up. I'm almost done. Please. The spiritual survival of every Bible-believing local church depends on making disciples indeed out of the next generation. I mean this is no disrespect to anybody in this room. And I would say the same thing at MBT. But the future of this church is probably not in this room. You hear what I'm saying? There are mostly adults here who are at my age and stage of life. 
That's not to insult anybody or put you down about how old you are, but I'm just saying, if the Lori Terrors is coming, the future is probably in these other rooms. One of the things that I will tell you that I find grievous, grievous in ministry, and I, I think you would ask any pastor, he would tell you this, you know, one of the things that just wears you down and wears you out about ministry or any ministry is drama. Nonsense, bickering, murmuring, griping, complaining fighting, dividing over things that half a second into eternity won't matter. But while we're doing that, while we're slugging it out because I don't like this and I don't like that and I didn't get my way and I can't believe, you know what's happening? When churches do that, they're writing that obituary. Not evangelizing, not discipling, not touching this world for Christ. Can't do that because we're too busy fighting over fill in the blank. Okay. <laughs> Listen, if a church fails to disciple the next generation, here's where the spiritual train is going. Look at verse 11 of, Joshua, or of Judges chapter 2. And the children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord and served Balaam. And they forsook the Lord God of their fathers, which brought them out of the land of Egypt and followed other gods, of the gods of the people that were round about them and bowed themselves unto them and provoked the Lord to anger. And they forsook the Lord and served Baal and Ashtaroth. And the anger of the Lord was hot against Israel. And he delivered them into the hands of spoilers that spoiled them. And he sold them into the hands of their enemies round about so that they could not any longer stand before their enemies. Whithersoever they went out, the hand of the Lord was against them for evil as the Lord had said and as the Lord had sworn unto them. And they were greatly distressed. So this begins the cycle that you're going to see in the book of Judges. God's going to judge them. They're going to repent. They're going to do it again and again and again and again. Listen, we cannot rest on the fact that the generation behind us grew up in church. We can't. What will keep churches like Harvest Baptist Church, like First Baptist Church, like Midtown Baptist Temple, and on and on and on. What will keep us from going from Joshua to Judges spiritually is that every generation must disciple the one behind it. Must. Must. This is why God said to Israel, because this is where it starts. This is where it starts. Deuteronomy chapter 6 and verse 6. And these words which I command thee this day shall be in thine heart, 
and thou shalt teach them how diligently unto thy children, and shalt talk of them when thou sittest in thine house, and when thou walkest by the way, and when thou liest down, and when thou risest up. Reaching the next generation begins by reaching the one that's in your home. That's where it starts. You know, the day is coming when I'm going to sit in the living room of the home of my children where they're going to be spouses and parents, most likely. And guess what I'm going to find out? I'm going to find out how I did. Because how they teach and how they train will tell me whether or not I did my job. What's going to tell any church how it did is when there is a spiritual transition of leadership. Because then you see very clearly, did it go from Moses to Joshua or did it go from Joshua to Judges? Father in heaven, for your glory, let us be about the business of being disciples indeed and making them. And Lord, for anybody that's here, that all starts with salvation. We must know you first before we can ever be a disciple indeed. Be glorified as a result of the preaching of your word today. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for that awesome message. Would you stand with me? Maybe you don't know the Lord and you need to have a personal relationship with him. Maybe you do know the Lord and you want to know more about discipleship. We have some altar counselors standing here and they would love to talk to you about that. Maybe you're interested in joining this church and you don't have a church home. They can talk to you about that. But the main thing is making sure that you have a personal relationship with him. So in just a second, I'm going to pray a prayer, and you can pray with me so that you can come to know Christ as your Lord and Savior. You can have that guarantee because, every, as he says, we all have an expiration you know, date. I was taking it personal there for a while. I'm saying, man, he's saying I'm old or something. <laughs> but it's all good. It's all good. But maybe you don't know Jesus Christ. And, and no matter what age you are, you still have an expiration date. But, man, what a blessing to know that you know him as your Lord and Savior. Get that right. Maybe you've never been baptized and you want to come up and talk to them about that for our next baptism. We'd love for, for you to go through that. So the Bible says in Romans ten nine and 10, that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus... And shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. Don't believe what other people say. You confess it. You just say, Lord, I want to have a relationship with you. So let's pray. And if you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, pray this prayer with me right now. Lord Jesus, I give you my heart. I confess my sins to you. 
Lord, I want to have a relationship with you. I want the Holy Spirit to live inside of me, to chastise me, to, to convict me, Lord, to show me the way. Lord, I believe that you died, was buried, and rose again. And I want to be a Christian. I want to have you living inside of me forever. I want to go to heaven because I know that's where you will be, have me living. And so, Lord, I pray that prayer. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you so much for the message this morning. I pray that you were blessed with it. I'm going to turn it over to the praise team right now.